everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm Taylor Rockwell, and I'm joined by a man who is always a bargain, regardless of the price. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Tay-Tay. How are you this fine day, sir? I am uh, doing well. Uh, we have April showers ongoing outside. It was not the torrential downpour that we expected, but it was oh. slightly unpleasant. Uh, Daryl always says don't talk about the weather up front, but I am only talking about the weather to mention that it's April. But for the purposes of today's show, we're going to be talking about January. Uh, does that vibe with what you've got written down? That completely vibes, That's because good. we're going to be talking about the best January signings mm-hmm. ever which uh, I look forward to getting to. But I just want to have a little chat first, Taylor. Uh, oh, yes, how's please. your weekend? I, I, um, I finished the English game. Oh. Um, and now I can finally listen to your episodes about it. Uh-huh. And I, I have never watched a period piece before. I never watched uh, Downtown Abbey, as mm-hmm. I like to call it. That is correct. Um, and I really got into it. I thought really? it got better as it went along. Really? Okay, so we were fairly negative on it by the end. Uh, wh- what did you find like, most enjoyable, most captivating? Not the soccer. Well, I mean, I think I think I saw one save and it was in the final episode. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's two in total uh, throughout the series. Yes. Yeah, I just I thought the interpersonal relationships were very interesting. Like the Canard, I don't want to give too much away, but I thought a lot of his character was a bit on the nose and the way he was too good in many ways mm-hmm. and a bit too gallant in certain ways. But otherwise. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty well executed. Did you find it as strange as I did, having watched United Passions, where they depict him as a monocle top hat wearing uh, foreign hater, uh, to then see this show where he's all emotional <laughs> and sentimental and uh, promises to give up soccer in exchange for uh, being a father? He wasn't racist. He didn't call French people frogs he at any not. point. I was really confused about this depiction, and he was quite handsome. Was he like, was quite handsome. United Passions led me down a path I did not want to go down. Frankly, who'd with that have guy. thought? Who'd mm. have thought that United Passions uh, wouldn't be entirely honest in its depiction of things? <laughs> Shock of all shocks. Um, we are going to be talking January transfers, as you mentioned. I'm glad you enjoyed the English game. Uh, our reviews are lengthy and at times critical, but I think overall it was an enjoyable sort of uh, like distraction from the uh, the present situation uh are the, the reviews re- as long as the episodes longer i believe oh that's interesting <laughs> we took we we took a tss approach of not really caring about brevity but going very in-depth on the tactics and structure of things uh that's how i'm choosing to see it oh my um, gosh but before we get to our january transfers uh we did have a bit of news relating to tottenham and the premier league and uh the coronavirus situation ryan can you give us a quick update there Follow update. Here we go. Uh, so uh, I think the state of play in the Premier League was that Newcastle, Liverpool and Tottenham had all furloughed their staff, which means that they were asking the UK taxpayer to pay 80% of their wages. They will pay the remaining 20% during this uh, time. Uh, Liverpool have backtracked. And uh, as of Monday, Tottenham have now backtracked on that decision too. They've made a furlough U-turn, baby. Uh, and also they have, to their credit, um, uh, surrendered. No, that's not the right word. Given up part of their state to a local NHS hospital as well. So that would be, be used for outpatients, um, which is a good thing they've done there as well. But whether it's too little, too late is a debate that we can have, I suppose. But now the heat is definitely on Newcastle United, who, as of this recording, remain the outliers in furloughing their staff and having uh, the uh, the UK taxpayer pay their non-playing staff wages. I'm thinking Mike Ashley's sitting there not really bothered by the negative press he's getting because he's kind of used to it. Yeah, I, I feel like if anything, he's trying to go about applying for the percentages that Liverpool and Tottenham gave up. He wants to know if he can have their share uh, for his <laughs> club. Uh, he wants to triple down, if nothing else. <laughs> I think you're probably right. And uh, one other thing I think is Barcelona have now started mm-hmm. furloughing non-playing staff. So, you know, they had that mandatory pay cut. Was it 70% they ended up putting yes. on the Barcelona players? So in addition to that, they have furloughed their non-playing staff. And I believe the Spanish government are doing 70% of wages rather than 80% in the UK, if I'm not mistaken. So they are also passing the burden onto the Spanish taxpayer. Ironic, seeing as a lot of Barcelona players tend not to pay taxes. Oh, yeah. um, so that's interesting. <laughs> Forget about um, that. But it does kind of... Uh, it kind of showcases the real trouble that Barcelona are in. I mean, mm. they've been saying that they've suffered more than any other team because of you know they got nearly a hundred thousand people go to that stadium every other week. That's a lot of income they've lost, and apparently their club shop brings in many millions. This is a team who announced revenues of one billion euros before this season started, and yet they've got you know they're making 
poor transfer decisions and they've, they've had this unfortunate circumstances put upon them, which has shown that even the elite level clubs are uh, not impervious to this situation. Yeah, indeed. And we talked about it on the Friday show, Daryl and I did, about the kind of uh, controversy at uh, Barcelona, the ongoing controversy, we should say, with uh, Bartomeu, uh, board members resigning a state of crisis, Lionel Messi sort of uh, once again throwing shade at the board, specifically at Bartomeu. So it does seem like maybe not the best of times to be in and around uh, that Barcelona club, yeah. uh, which is maybe why we should uh, we should just avoid talking about them entirely. Are we talking about Barcelona today? Scrolling through notes, yes, I'm talking about Barcelona very briefly when we talk about our best uh, January signings. Ryan, you uh, mentioned that you just finished the English game. We mm-hmm. have uh, just finished, and we'll be reviewing this week, Sunderland Till I Die. Uh, I don't know how much of that you've seen so far. Uh, not enough okay. is the answer, but I'm getting there. I'm right. getting there, Tay-Tay. Well, spoiler alert for people who have not, or semi-spoiler alert, uh, in episode four, I believe it is, uh, Sunderland owner Stuart Donald uh, is involved in the January window. It comes down to deadline day. There's a a, a, a bit of crisis, a bit of panic, a bit of a emotional connection and not wanting to look like a proper numpty, as he describes himself, if he doesn't make a <laughs> signing. Um, I doubt we're going to be discussing Will Griggs' move to Sunderland on this list, but it did remind me that though the January window is very difficult, you've got the the January tax. Uh, Stuart Donald, Donald is apparently told that there's also a Sunderland tax, which is interesting. Um, you can still find quality. You stand, uh, can still find value, uh, especially if you overpay for that value uh, in January. So we're going to be looking at 10 or so of the best signings, uh, in our opinions. We do have some honorable mentions before we get into the proper list. Uh, Ryan, who have you got as honorably mentioned uh, in the January window? Uh, I've gone for all Tiago Silva and his move from Fluminense mm-hmm. in Rio to Milan in January 2009. Um, this was a move that cost Milan 10 million euros. He didn't make his debut, though, if you remember, until much later. I think it was August of that year. But he was still training with the team up until that point. And um, I just, uh, there was lots of quotes from like Maldini claimed that he had the physical and technical characteristics of a champion after his first game. Not a bad review from Paolo Maldini Not there. And I think, you know, this is a player who did very good things for Milan and was sold for a pretty tidy profit. He got four times his sale, uh, his purchase price, 40 million to PSG. Um, what was that three years later in 2012, which is a world record for a defender until David Lewis, say what you will about that process. So that's yeah. one of my own remits. Do you want me to do another one? Or you, or you... Uh, yeah, you can keep going. Uh, who else did I have? Uh, oh, Americ Laporte. Mm-hmm. Americ Laporte from Athletic Club to City in 2018. I think we're going to mention another big centre-back transfer that happened in that window to the Premier League. But this one was a big one because I think this season, of what we've had of this season, has shown how important Laporte was to to Manchester City mm-hmm. and to, to their triumphant team of the season before and how much they missed him when he wasn't there although we could arguably say there was a player they should have signed instead of Laporte which we shall get to maybe later on we shall who indeed else, who else you got Tay? Um, I wanted to say about Laporte I mean it is it is a big signing it's a lot of money but it's worth remembering it's athletic club they only uh, sign and play Basque players so yes. when Cantera. they have to give them up they give them up for a lot of money that release clause is usually set pretty high so that said City were able to bring him in and he became such a reliable competitor for them uh, yeah, I think that's definitely honorably mentioned. Before we move on, sorry, mm-hmm. what do you think of the Cantera policy that they still have in Athletic Club? This is something that, you know, back in the back in the back in the day, like Barcelona even mm-hmm. used to have a Cantera policy yeah. and a lot, lot of clubs did. But Athletic are sort of the outliers and still having it. Do you think in 2020 it's a thing they should do? I mean, it seems to still be working for them. I think in terms of like if they're ever aspirational for the title, I think it's a harder policy to pursue. But I think if they sort of look at the situation as it is, which is Real Madrid and Barcelona have all the money, Atleti seem to have a decent amount of all the money. So you're probably not really going to be able to compete with them on that level. So maybe mm-hmm. sticking to the policy and kind of keeping that identity, staying in La Liga, occasionally pushing for cups, occasionally pushing for European spots. Maybe that is their sort of long-term strategy, their long-term goal. And if that's the case, that I do think they can stick with it uh it is i think i always enjoy it just because i like those sort of traditions as they continue to exist in football and it doesn't feel like such a strange one as opposed to like celtic only having catholic players rangers only having protestant players which has since gone by the wayside as well that one felt a Mm. bit more uh (laughs) sectarian i guess would be the word there but like whenever they're sort of mildly discriminatory is where I think there's an issue there, but it's no different to me than Chivas having the like Mexicans only policy. Like it is a sort of point of pride. It's an identifier for the club. So I think for them to, uh, to change it, I would be a little bit bummed out a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's, 
I mean, it's fair enough. They've done okay by, I think, them and Real and Barca are the only teams never to be relegated mm-hmm. from the top flight. And uh, after building a new stadium, they seem to be going on to new, new levels. Anyway, I digress. Let's All move right. back to the January transfer, shall we? Let's do it. One more honorable mention. I think it is generally the case that when you look at January successes, it's players who maybe were brought in maybe expected to have an immediate impact, and even if they didn't long-term, maybe we're able to find that form and be successful. But Erling Holland, moving from Salzburg to Dortmund uh, this January, it's strange <laughs> to say because obviously the season postponed, so we haven't been able to see you know the ensuing fallout, but for those first few months of his time at Dortmund, uh, it seemed like a pretty big transfer. It seemed like it worked quite well, especially for the money, especially for uh, all the clubs he is now linked with. For him to go in and kind of hit the ground running, score, uh, I think, with every single touch uh, for the first couple games there, uh, a, so- a solid move for Borussia Dortmund. I would say arguably worthy of something higher than honorable mention status. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just the immediacy of it. And like, there's always the chance that like Bundesliga resumes play and he kind of loses that hot hand and, and it all crashes and burns and he ends up, I don't know, moving to, to China or something as at least mm. one player on this list did. Uh, it seems unlikely. It seems much more likely that he will continue to be very, very good uh, and be the player that everybody wants to sign in their FIFA career mode. Uh, but until that happens... Well, I'm going to say honorable mention for me, but uh, Erling Holland is a pretty good signing. Ryan, who have you got in terms of your best January signings uh, to start off? Not necessarily number one, but uh, who is uh, number one on your list, if not in your heart? Let me kick off, Tete, mm-hmm. with a move from America to All the right. UK. The opposite Ryan Bailey, I'd like to call it. Um, <laughs> Clint Dempsey going from the New England Revolution mm-hmm. to Fulham in 2007, January thereof. A sort of a benchmark for MLS to Premier League moves, I think you could call that. At the time, I believe he was the most expensive American mm-hmm. player to come over to the UK. I think it was $4 million, which equated then to £2 million, the two-to-one exchange yeah. rate ratio. It Can took me a while to realize that it was the Ooh. changing exchange rate because I was like, well, they made a $4 million offer, but it's a £2 million move move did the fees change or something and then i realized oh conversion rates that was back in the days when we used to go on vacation to america and like take an extra suitcase because the currency was insane (laughs) back then and it's not so much anymore thank you brexit let's not uh, talk about that anymore um uh, he came over dempsey did uh to fulham who i've obviously had a history of american players uh, with uh uh, carlos bocanegra and uh brian mcbride brian mcbride who's a player i always think of um because when i was at college uh the person next to me we were were writing about pride and prejudice Mm -hmm. and uh at the top of his notes just for him no one else he just written brian mcbride and prejudice and i thought it was very funny (laughs) i was i was wondering where that was gonna go i should have put it together faster it's I was like, like Brian he, Brian for, uh, like, <laughs> he does sort of have that look i feel like he if he had a uh, an english accent maybe he could go that route but i just thought it was so hilarious because that guy just wrote it for himself just for <laughs> right. no one else and i managed to i managed to see it but anyway <laughs> we'll get back to clear dempsey mm-hmm. he did score his first goal until may 2007 right. but it was a fairly important one yes Taylor. it was it was the one uh, i believe against liverpool one nil home win a little chip over pepe reina which kept fulham in the gosh darn premier league in his debut season that ain't so bad and he spent five years at craven cottage they liked him an awful lot he even returned again for a loan spell i would say that is one of the better january transfer moves what say you I, I would agree i forgot this was a january move uh to start off so thank you mm. for including it but then i went back and looked because yeah you, I, I i saw that entry that was like uh he scored his first goal was a one to win over liverpool which effectively saved fulham from relegation and i was like well what does that mean i looked it up fulham finished that season 16th on 39 points wigan uh one spot below them 38 points negative 22 goal difference sheffield united who were actually relegated in 18th 38 points negative 23 so it is the case that if they don't win that game if they only draw it they're on 37 points Fulham are relegated so it is the case that Dempsey keeps them up and then they kind of have that sustained run he has the run in the Europa League the amazing chip that we all have come to love and then that move to Tottenham at the end Uh, yeah so I think overall a very good move and another good example of how you can bring a player in they can have an impact that season but I think if you're bringing them in to have an immediate impact it does take a little bit of time to bet in to gel to kind of find their form find their footing and then start scoring goals that save you from relegation Texas forever (laughs) Uh, Texas Forever is not the slogan of the first gentleman I'm going to mention on my list, unless you have anything else to say about uh, Clint Dempsey. 
Go on. All right. Then I'm going to talk about Wilfred Ndidi, moving from Genk to Leicester for £17 million. Pounds. Uh, this is obviously after N'Golo Conte departs Champions Leicester for Chelsea for £32 million. Pounds. So come January of the following season, there's a recognition, there's an awareness that maybe we're missing a little bit of something, and that little bit something might be the specific name N'Golo Conte. Uh, but Leicester having the scouting system that they do, and this is a very good example of their usage of advanced statistics when it comes to tracking signings, they basically looked at like undervalued players who could perform similarly in in their respective leagues to the way Angolo Conte did before he moved to Leicester. They identify Wilfred and Didi. And he comes in and basically is now this player that is linked with uh, a ton of different clubs uh, filling that central midfield role. And this is at a time when lots of clubs need central midfielders when Ndidi comes in. And you mm. contrast it with, uh, I think Tifo made the point that six months later, Nemanja Matic moved to Manchester United for £40 million. Pounds, so that's more than double what Leicester played for Wilfred Ndidi. Uh, Nemanja Matic has since moved on to Crystal Palace for a much smaller sum. Wilfred Ndidi still at Leicester, but will uh, probably demand a much higher transfer fee if and when he does move so sort of identifying a player that you need to replace like a, an absolutely pivotal player and then correctly identifying that player and bringing them in and then becoming a reliable performer is really kind of what you're looking for when it comes to a january signing so i've got wolford and Didi on my list for sure indeedy that is a good signing and uh, um um Something very exciting about Charlotte MLS, uh, the team which I'm doing some work with, is that they have Steve Walsh, who shaped much of the team uh, who came before Ndidi and who uh, the Leicester team that won the League One and the Championship and the Premier League. So that kind of spirit of scouting that happened at Leicester is very much being going to be continued in MLS in North Carolina. All right. Soon. So I'm looking forward to that. North Carolina. All right. I like the uh, the accent as well. I like Wilfred Ndidi at Leicester, and I like mm. sponsors. So let's talk about a sponsor. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought Brought to you in part by our friends at the Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom uh, deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, be it a suit or a tuxedo, for their big day. But it could just be more than a groom. Uh, we had the English Game Challenge, Ryan. I'm not. I'm not. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but do you remember when uh, Canard eats dinner by himself and is all sad, but he still is in complete formal wear? Of course. We wanted uh, listeners to do that, to utilize the Black Tux, to get themselves a tuxedo to then replicate <laughs> that candlelight dinner uh, canard by himself. It feels like a, a good sort of image for uh, our modern social distancing lives. Uh, but <laughs> it could also be an aspirational thing. If you are looking forward to a wedding or some sort of formal event down the road, then the Black Tux has you covered because they make getting a tuxedo or a suit uh, easier than ever. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back out there, Tay-Tay, maybe mm-hmm. doing some formal events. And Black Tux is a very good option for uh, clothing yourself thereof. And the, the um, so they've got some one-star reviews that have come from other tailors, mm-hmm. Taylor, in, in, the, in the copy here. Uh, one of which is, go elsewhere, the place is pretty terrible, unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. Hmm. Uh, another review here. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might mm-hmm. follow us to our wedding day, so we left. So this is the kind of reason why Black Tux was started, and it's kind of a very modern approach to getting yourself a tuxedo or some formal wear. Very easy online ordering process that brings mm-hmm. your suit Oxford, or tuxedo straight to you. You just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and the quality before you commit. And I'll add, Tay-Tay, mm-hmm. that they also have showrooms around this here country which will open up when we all start doing things again Mm -hmm. they have one in my local mall in charlotte which i've seen and it's very good all right so so you could go to that uh uh, aspirationally someday but until then they have the uh, online try at home sort of policy so you can make sure everything fits everything looks the way you want it to you do not look like your grandpa for halloween you instead (laughs) look uh i would say like mcconaughey-esque that's what i'm gonna go with when it comes to wearing a fly suit i'm not sure who else i should be maybe daniel craig daniel craig is probably the person who can uh, wear a suit he would not have a shirt on under the suit, though, would he? That's the problem. I think you need to wear you need to wear a shirt if you want to kind of complete <laughs> the look. Arthur Canard would require you to wear a shirt. Uh, so if you want your wedding or formal event to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code SOCCER. That's theblacktux.com, code SOCCER, for 10% off your purchase. One more time, theblacktux.com, code SOCCER, for 10% off. Uh, the Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. Uh, Ryan? 
Ryan. This moment, we're talking about January signings that were quite good. We've talked Clint Dempsey. We've talked Wilfred and Didi. Who shall we talk next? Moving on to your team, Manchester United, who signed Nemanja Vidic from Mm -hmm. Spartak Moscow in uh, January of uh, 2006. January 5th, 2006, if we're going to be specific. Uh, £7 million this one cost uh, for the centre-back, who, fair to say, took to Man United's back line like a duck to water, spent eight and a half seasons as first choice, basically one of the first names on the team sheet. Uh, five league titles, Champions League, Club World Cup, club captain at Manchester United. This is vintage Manchester United, not rubbish post Alex Ferguson, <laughs> Manchester United. He was a Premier League player of the season in 08-09, in which he helped the team keep 14 clean sheets. Mm-hmm. No easy feat. Um, you know, probably the biggest success to come out of Moscow since Donald Trump's 2016 election win. And I'll, uh, I'll add the, um, uh, another Charlotte MLS link here. Zoran of course. Panetta. I'm going to going to pepper them through this thing i see that zora cronetta the sporting director once told me that he offered uh vidic around to clubs in the premier league and elsewhere when he was with a uh, red start but uh, nobody wanted him when he was younger and then it only came hmm. through later on interesting yeah huh? and and he's a player who uh i remember as you said as a man united fan endeared himself at, uh to me and a lot of the man united fans when he said like to play for manchester united he would have walked there and this is at a time when chelsea are, are very dominant in the premier league manchester united had slipped off a little bit uh and I remember this window. I remember him coming in. I remember Patrice Evra coming into the same window. A very successful mm. January window, that for Manchester United. Not but bad. at the time, it was sort of like, these two random guys aren't going to be the ones that like help them win the Premier League again and have them competing in the Champions League. And yet, fast forward a year, they definitely are. And then fast forward a year and a half after that, and they definitely are again. They win the Premier League. They win the Champions League. These two players are, are, are front and center. But Nemanja Vidic, especially like that sort of next-level performer, again, doesn't really bet in right away. It takes a little bit of time to adjust, uh, probably gets yelled at quite a bit with a Scottish accent, but then figures out how to <laughs> decipher that Scottish accent and therefore figures out how to decipher the instructions being given to him and then becomes that uh, consummate professional that we've all, all of us come to know and love. Also, my wife's uh, first Manchester United-related crush as well. The Oh, mm-hmm. very interesting. I yes. like that. Yes. Well, there, was, there was a story I seem to remember around this time about Vidic when he complained about being in Manchester. I think he complained about the rain and the mm-hmm. weather. And I'm sitting there thinking, Yep. person from former Yugoslavia says what? Yeah, exactly. You get those complaints from, like, Portugal and Spain, and that makes sense to me. Because by all accounts, Manchester is cold and rainy and not the most exciting of places at times. Yeah, like, I could see that on the Portuguese coast, maybe if you're coming from there, it being a little bit of a bummer. Coming from Serbia, which is, you know, by all accounts, a very pretty country, but I, I don't think of having the greatest weather. So I would assume that he's familiar with at least a rainy day or two. Mm. And it reminds me of, uh, do you remember Alexander Kleb when he left Arsenal? He complained that it was, you know, London was too loud and he wanted to have peace and quiet around his home and stuff. Hey. So he moves to Barcelona, which is basically like Nashville in terms of its, uh, you know, <laughs> bachelorette parties that are happening constantly. It's the loudest city and it never stops. So, yeah, good move there, Kleb. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, my next one that I wanted to discuss uh, is... One who's good both for, like, when he came in, but also when he left. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Felipe Coutinho moving from Inter Milan to Liverpool for a paltry £8.5 million. Pounds. Um, I, not being a Liverpool fan, like, remember the highlights of Felipe Coutinho at Liverpool, and then I remember, obviously, the prolonged departure for him. I sort of had this idea in my head that when he comes in, he is the kind of heir apparent. He's going to run the midfield. He's obviously this world-class player, and Liverpool have this coup in signing him for only $8.5 million. Reading about it again, he basically is signed because Rafa Benitez uh, had been the manager at Inter Milan, brings in Felipe Coutinho because he recognizes his talents, his technical ability, but things go south for Benitez. He is sacked at Inter, and then basically Coutinho falls off. He gets loaned out for a season. He does not have a very strong start and is sort of looking for a career revival. Benitez recommends him to Liverpool. Liverpool take a look. They end up signing him, but it's more about potential. And so I, I guess I just kind of assumed it was this like Van Persie, like Sanchez-esque, like, oh, finished products, we're bringing him in, and it's going to hit the ground running and be perfect. And instead, it is sort of a gamble. Uh, and Liverpool roll the dice, and it ends up working out very well for them because when he leaves in January of 2018, another January move, uh, it's for 105 million pounds, rising to 142, depending on incentives and bonuses and all that sort of thing, but a more than tenfold increase in about six years, five years, excuse me, mm. uh, not a bad bit of business for Liverpool. Not a bad bit of business at all. 
Great ROI there, Taylor. Great yes, ROI for that for that deal. Very good. Yeah, and obviously enjoyed his prime years at Liverpool. And I think in that World Cup 2018, he was very good too, wasn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah, so. I mean, and so this is, I mean, but it's also uh, like a Coutinho who I remember when he left, there was this sort of feeling of like, I mean, like Klopp is there and it seems like he's got things right. It does seem like it will be hit, but maybe they'll be able to figure it out. And then you look at the ways they kind of go about reinvesting that money and you do wonder if like does uh, another player we're going to talk about shortly uh, sign for <laughs> Liverpool? Does Allison, the goalkeeper, end up signing if they don't have this massive amount of money coming in for that sale of Coutinho? And I think for what he did for the club and helped stabilize them and gave them this very, very potent uh, threat that everybody was aware of and scared of, opposition defenses especially, but then to sell him on and then use that money to finance other big moves, I think uh, another reason why I have him is one of my best January signings. Mm, yeah, very much like watching United Passions, this move. It seemed painful at the time when he left, but it's all we're better off for it after it happened. No, nope, that's not like United <laughs> Passions. No, nope, opposite. Opposite, not sorry. Not so much, but I appreciate the effort. Uh, and you didn't mention Charlotte, which is always nice. Uh, unless you've got a way to uh, blend Coutinho with Charlotte. I'm guessing he's probably um, played in an International Champions Cup game there. He has indeed. When Liverpool we played Milan, I believe he was in the squad that played at Bank of America Stadium. I'll just add that in there. Thank you Oh, thank much. you. Of course. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Ryan, where should we go next? Let's go to Spain. All right. uh, Another one, I mentioned a Fluminense move with uh, oh, Thiago Silva. Mm-hmm. We didn't mention his Marcelo, who also came from Fluminense in Rio to Real Madrid in 2007. A pearl that half of Europe wanted was mm-hmm. how President uh, Ramon Calderon described Marcelo when he joined. He was just 18 years old back then and sort of viewed as the Roberto Carlos successor. And I think it's fair to say he did all right in that respect, didn't he? I mean, what, four, yeah. four Champions League titles four Liga titles. Mm-hmm. He's been in, he's, you know, regular in the World 11s whenever they come out. Uh, I think he's been in the Champions League squad of the season a handful of times as well. Just a, a, a very good acquisition from South America at this time. It seems like it's a good time to get players from South America um, with uh, with uh, Thiago Silva coming over as well. And a very, very good deal. And one that I'd forgotten was a January deal as well. Uh, yeah, uh, same here as well until you put it in the list. Uh, mm. So then I, I did a little bit more reading. And I think it's really interesting, a couple of things there. The first is that he's brought over as a left back, then kind of uh, loses that starting spot, regains it, gets moved to left wing, then moves back to left back under Jose Mourinho, where he obviously yep. stays and has a lot of success. But I think it's interesting that he, uh, I think I did the math here, 10 managers since he signed for Real Madrid, uh, one of them twice in the form of Zidane Zidane, but mm. still has over 350 appearances, meaning that he is sort of consistent in that Madrid 11 regardless of the manager. Uh, and I think that that is pretty impressive given the obvious strength and talent that Real Madrid have pretty much every single season. So that he is so consistent, but then also so kind of lovable. Like he's one of the few people I think to come out of Madrid or to spend a lot of time in Madrid and come away with sort of a very positive vibe around him. There's the locker room video of him doing the header challenge with I think his son's team, but he just seems to be a very personable fella. Uh, you hear a lot of positive about Marcelo. So I think that as well has me thinking that he is a very uh, strong player, not just because of what he did, but because of the fact that he spent all that time at Real Madrid and seems mm. to seems to still have a sterling reputation. For someone who professionally stands so close to Sergio Ramos for most exactly. of his career, so for him to be nice is is good. It's incredible. That it's is impressive. exactly what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Marcelo to uh, Real Madrid in 2007. A decent yeah. move, I would say. I would uh-huh. say a decent bit of business as well for a smaller amount of money would be John Stones moving from Barnsley to Everton for £3 million in 2013. Okay. I, this is another one uh, where I... Kind of forgot he came from Barnsley, and I assumed he was a, a Everton Academy product. I was incorrect. I also don't know accents, so I feel like I know one person from Barnsley who has a very strong accent. I'm going to assume that John Stones has the like definitive Barnsley accent, and I just don't know it because I'm not as familiar with the accents of your people, Ryan. Barnsley. I think you'd say it like that. Yeah, that is exactly bit, how. Bit Yorkshire. <laughs> my, my buddy Stu says it. Um, but here's my here's the the opening paragraph of the Guardian's article uh, discussing John Stone's transfer slash his arrival at Everton. This is from January 2013. 
Everton failed to strengthen their pursuit of Champions League qualification with a major addition in January, failing to sign highly rated Leon Fair, uh, Leroy Fair and Alvaro Negredo, although 18-year-old John Stones arrived from Barnsley for around £3 million. The article sort of goes on to say, like, yeah, they got this kid, but that doesn't really matter. They didn't sign anybody of lasting import. Fast forward to John Stones uh, becoming basically the high high point and most consistent point of the Roberto Martinez. Um, I always call him Martinez because that's what your people call him. I keep bashing the English accidentally. Roberto <laughs> Martinez era, but he is the sort of consistent performer there. Eventually moves to Man City uh, in August for, uh, for $47.5 million in 2016. Uh, and doing the reading, I found out that Barnsley got uh, 7 to 9 million euros, uh, excuse me, pounds for that uh, transfer. So in addition to getting three initially, they got 7 to 9 million more uh, because John Stones was that good and is that good. Uh, maybe Pep Guardiola would, would disagree these days, but at the time uh, was very highly rated. Uh, not a bad bit of business for £3 million in January. Very good bit of business indeed. You're right there. And by the way, I bet Barnsley wish they got euros, not pounds. Hashtag <laughs> an- another, another currency <laughs> joke slipping in there. A lot um, of currency jokes. I've also got another Charlotte MLS link here. Yay! Oh, please. So when um, John Stones was 16 years old in the Barnsley Academy, Guess who became his agent and then set up the deal to go to Everton? Yes, could it be? Zoran Cronetta, sporting oh. director, Charlotte MLS. Thank you Lovely. very much. Lovely. Lovely. Mm. Thank you for that, Ryan. I do appreciate it so much yes. so. And it just once again shows that Charlotte MLS are going to dominate because they're going to build a very good roster. All right. Do, do, do you really feel, do you feel pretty confident about Charlotte's uh, opportunities, the possibilities there? I just think based on the staff they've got, like Zoran, who obviously was an agent for many big players. He was Ivanovic's agent for many long time. He set up the deal for John Stones, as I just mentioned. He's got a lot of experience in the league and a lot of contacts. Uh, and St- having Steve Walsh on board is massive. And just looking at what they're doing with um, scouting and video analysis, it feels like they're going to do this properly. That's all I'll say. And maybe they signed John Stones at that point? Maybe. You never maybe know. Not. You never know. I think he'd be quite expensive right now. <laughs> That is true. That is true. But, you know, you want to make a splash. That's how you do it. You sign defenders. People got to learn. Sign defenders with that DP. MLS love the defender DPs, don't they? There have been, what, like three? Yeah, loads of them. (laughs) Uh, Ryan, why don't you give us uh, one more uh, great January transfer signing? Okay, uh, I'm going to go to Mr. Luis Suarez. Liverpool doing all right. Liverpool doing all right. Yeah, yeah, Liverpool done quite well in this list. Um, mm-hmm. He came from Ajax in January 2011 on the very same day as one of the worst January transfers we've discussed before, yep. uh, which happened on this day. His, his move uh, funded by the whole Fernando Torres saga. Uh, on the same day as well, uh, Andy Carroll came in uh, just a few hours earlier, but it was um, sort of the, the low-key signing of the day was £22.5 for Suarez, with Carroll costing a lot more than that. And I think it's fair to say Suarez had a pretty big impact on Liverpool yeah. and was sorely missed when he was sold to Barcelona for 75 million. Another good ROI, uh, a good tidy profit there. Went on to be part of one of the most, probably the best attacking Trident world soccer has ever seen. But uh, Liverpool obviously had a tremendous impact. Very nearly won them a title there if it weren't for players slipping over and Crystal Palace getting three goals back and that kind of thing. And it, it's interesting how... This might be controversial to say this because Suarez, you know, he was a cheat. He bit people, got accused of racism, had Mm -hmm. zero sense of loyalty by the end of this whole thing, got banned a few times because he's basically an awful person. But boy, were Liverpool fans willing to overlook all that stuff because he was good at the goals. Wasn't he good at the goals? (laughs) He was and and still is. His movement is, he's one of my favorite like uh, strikers to watch in terms of his movement and how he's able to find space and find those little gaps. Mm. He's probably not my favorite person when it comes to the off-field activity and I guess some of the on-field activity when it comes to the biting and the (laughs) cheating and and the all that sort of thing. But it is also fascinating Fascinating to your initial point that like he was briefly the club's most expensive signing, twenty two point eight million. Then Andy Carroll comes in, and like I an love hour. the idea of going back and saying to like the Liverpool directors at the time, like one of your signings is going to kind of fall by the wayside and end up at West Ham, and maybe not have the success you would have expected. And one of them is going to end up at Barcelona, leading the line. And I feel like they would have looked at those two options, Andy Carroll or Luis Suarez, and maybe not known for sure. Like maybe Barcelona are just going to go like very direct all of a sudden, and we didn't see this coming. But it's a strange. <laughs> thing that momentarily Liverpool did an incredible piece of business that was then completely trumped by a an incredibly an incredible piece of business in the opposite direction is I guess how I'll phrase that. In another world Andy Carroll could have been the new Zlatan and also failed at Barcelona at some point. Yeah. <laughs> 
he could have been. He could have been. Uh, but instead, it's it's Luis Suarez who comes in. And yeah, to your point, like there's that Brandon Rogers team that challenges for the title. That it seems like maybe they're going to get it done. They don't end up getting it done. But I, re- I remember, like, I remember that team and remember thinking how terrifying they were. And then you go back and look, and it really was. Like, there's some good players in there. But it's similar to the 2005 Champions League final where you look at that Liverpool squad and it's like they had three players that were really, like, on that next level that, mm. like, like pushed that team along. Luis Suarez here was that player who would just keep scoring goals no matter what happened, would find a way to score. You could kind of always back him to score at least once a game. And he kind of did that. And, and that level of production, like, pushed Liverpool to a higher level. And I do also feel like it sort of reminded us that Liverpool have these talents at a time when Liverpool weren't as strong as they certainly are now. So I feel like he was this sort of important intermediate period player who then moves on to have an incredibly successful period at Barcelona and forms that strike force you mentioned. So I think like for what happened after the fact, as well as for his time at Liverpool, I think it's an incredibly good bit of business for 22.7 million. Very much so. million. Excuse me. I apologize. Yeah. Hey, who's counting? Pocket change these days, huh? Indeed. Um, and obviously, he did lots of fantastic things at Liverpool. And I think, what well, else? Norwich games where he scored like 20 goals a game or something. <laughs> um, but my residing memory of him at Liverpool is him crying on the field at Selhurst Park after that 3 3 draw. Yeah. Oh. Schadenfreude lives in me, Tate. I'm sorry. It lives in me. <laughs> Well, I, I'm I'm happy uh, that you have the Schadenfreude living in you. I'm happy that we're moving right along. But Ryan, I feel a little bit parched, and I think that's a good time for us to mm. talk about today's sponsor. It's Hydrant. Uh, did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It does not have to be that way. And I will say that is a pretty accurate description of, of my experience uh, in the quarantine coronavirus lockdown situation. I, I constantly have a bottle of water near me, and I do not drink it, and instead just drink like Coca-Cola, coffee, and then beer. Uh, not the best when it comes to staying hydrated. Uh, and then I get these kind of splitting headaches every now. And then, then I'm like, why does my head hurt so badly? All oh, right, I've had zero water. Uh, but water can get a little bit boring, a little bit repetitive, and that's where uh, Hydrant comes in to make it much more exciting and much more uh, enjoyable. So you've been social distancing from your water. I have. It's not good. It's not good. In fact, you've I'm going to take a moment to drink some water. Close. Oh, I'm I don't opening like my it. water bottle and muting my mic so people don't have to hear me drink. <laughs> Ryan, tell us about Hydrant if you would. Well, Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets that you mix directly into your water that you shouldn't be social distancing from to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and don't forget little old zinc that helps you hydrate quickly <laughs> and stay hydrated all day. Do you know it's backed by research done by scientists, Taylor? Scientists. Yeah. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists. Scientists from Oxford, Taylor. I mean, they provide those are perfect- fancy scientists. Those are the fanciest kind. Maybe Cambridge scientists. Oxford scientists. No, let's say they're the best ones. They provide a perfectly balanced, efficient hydration with hydrant. No synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan too, so you can do your bit to help the planet. And you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. What's not to love? I think the science and the research really is to love because whenever you're whenever you're looking at like a new drink, uh, be it an energy drink or just any sort of beverage and you see like all the different chemicals and ingredients, you do kind of wonder like this probably can't be good for me, right? So knowing that it is uh, effective, knowing that it is developed by Oxford scientists, the formalist of scientists who would never put anything impure into their bodies, I think mm. that makes me feel better. And as you said, the no synthetic colors or sweeteners, uh, all of it makes me feel a bit more secure, a bit more inclined to drink the water that I otherwise would be social distancing from. And uh, 25% off the first order helps with that as well, which is what Hydrant are offering. If you go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code SOCCER uh, at checkout, you get 25% off your first order. One more time, that's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code SOCCER for 25% off your first order. Do you think the Oxford scientists are scientists who live in Oxford or they went to Oxford University? I mean, I assume it's both. Don't you have to live there forever? Once you're there, aren't you there? Aren't you part of the collective? The way the board works. It's just work? not some guys from Oxford who decided they were scientists. <laughs> rather, you know, I hope they actually have like collegiate degrees. <laughs> that, that would be ideal. <laughs> Otherwise, they're just using their like their uh, like like the nine year old or like the six year old science lab uh, where you where you pour water into water and then water becomes water. Yeah, I, I hope yeah. it's slightly more than that. I'm assuming it is because I don't think our friends at Hydrant would lie to us about that. Um, but I do think, in terms of maybe slight deceptions, we can talk about Jackson Martinez. 
Palace, uh, moving from Atletico Madrid to Guangzhou Evergrande for mm. 31 million pounds or 42 million euros. Uh, since this was a move from Spain to China, I'm going to stick with euros for the rest of this one. Um, but this move, I should say up front, actually happened in February, February 3rd. Uh, but I'm still counting it as a January move because it was in the winter and it was, you know, around January. Um, but this is Jackson Martinez, who at the time had been the top scorer in the Portuguese league for three straight seasons, has a strong 2014 World Cup, moves to Atletico Madrid for 35 million euros in June of 2015, uh, and then manages two goals in 15 games, does not hit the ground running, does not prove to be this effective striking option. A fairly consistent narrative for Atletico Madrid is bringing in a striker that they think is going to have a big impact. Sometimes they do. Sometimes it takes them longer. Sometimes they really don't come to fruition at all. That seemed the way this is going for Jackson Martinez. And then, like, manna from heaven, in come China with an offer. Uh, Guangzhou Evergrande, 42 million euros, so 7 million more than Atleti had paid in the summer. Uh, they also offer Jackson Martinez 12 million euros a year in salary. That does not seem like a thing he could turn down, nor Atleti. They do not, and he does not. He moves there. And then tears that league apart. Just kidding, he doesn't. 16 appearances in two years, four goals total, uh, suffers an ankle injury that keeps him on the sidelines for sustained amounts of times over the two years. In the end, in February of 2019, his contract is terminated. Uh, so I think this is a rare example of looking at a January transfer slash early February transfer as being very good for one party, and that party was not the buying party. In this case, it's Atleti able to basically make a 7 million euro profit off of a player who did not seem to be fitting in only six months after they signed him that for all the world felt like a player who was gonna not have a good season go out on loan eventually maybe they sell on for like 12 million or 15 million so that they make a profit on a player who has not had the success has had a bit of a resurgence since moving back to europe but was not the world beater that they thought maybe he would be i think a solid bit of business for atleti there they use the classic stock trading technique of buy high, sell higher <laughs> to, uh, to make this one happen. It's always an ideal one. I, I think more businesses should go for that. Definitely. I was intrigued by this one's inclusion on the list. I'm glad you justified it, Taylor, because as you say, everyone else on this list mm-hmm. has been better for the team they arrived at rather yeah. than they left. And this one is very much the opposite. So you've, uh, you've taken a, you flip reversed it. Well I mean, done, sir. I mean, I, I miss you, Mr. Meaner Elliot is what I uh, try to go for there. Uh, but yes, I think I also said her name wrong. I apologize. But yeah, I mean, it, it is the case that sometimes if you can sell a player at the exact right moment, somehow this was the exact right moment. The six months later thing really confounds me. It can. Mm. Be a really good bit of business, and it did seem to be for Atletico, who gets so much credit, like not necessarily unjustified, but they get so much credit for being this club that develops players and brings them through. And I feel like a lot of that is basically citing Porto's best players and then selling them on for even more money later on. That seems to be a very <laughs> solid business strategy, strategy that Atletico have gone for. Uh, and this, I guess, would be another example of that. Yeah, good luck getting Jao Felix uh, money for Jao Felix yeah. in a few years' time. <laughs> ha, yeah. And uh, well done to uh, for taking advantage of the greed and the folly of the Chinese Super League yeah. in making this deal happen, Atleti. Congratulations. Not, not, the, not the greatest uh, transfers there. Not the greatest transfers there. Ryan, who is uh, your final player you want to mention when it comes to the best January transfers? My final pick on the list, Taylor, is what I believe to be the very best January transfer of all time. Yep. It is. Virgil van Dijk mm-hmm. moving from Southampton to Liverpool in 2018 for, what was it, 75 million? Something rather, wasn't yep. it? 70. So uh, most ex- a lot of money, I think, is what the contract said. It was all of the money he uh-huh. cost. All the money. This was the most expensive January deal ever when it went through. It was on the first day of 2018, January 1st. What a nice New Year present for Liverpool. Uh, the size of the fee, suffice to say, took most people by surprise. But I think with hindsight, it's turned out to be the bargain of the century. Because he's, you know, he's been the linchpin yeah. of one of the best teams in Premier League history uh, who are six points away from winning the current suspended Premier League campaign and who basically, by not signing for Man City, has cost them dearly. They went for Limerick Laporte instead, of course, and gained Liverpool tremendously. Like, uh, if, you, if you look at the, the documentary, the Amazon documentary of Man City, the Manchester City chairman, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, is seen in that documentary taking a phone call from, from Van Dyke's agent saying, no, we're not going to pay 70 plus. That's too much money, too much. We've got principles. Um, so that, that didn't work out too well for them on that, on that one, did it? Because uh, if they just imagine if Van Dyke had joined Man City, Man City, yeah. would be, they wouldn't have had any of the problems they've had in this current suspended season. They would have just gone from strength to strength from last campaign, I would imagine. And they would be completely unstoppable, whereas Liverpool would not be the team they are now, frankly. So no. that has been absolutely pivotal, that move in 
modern Premier League history, I would say, and is a good example of how spending a lot of money can often provide big dividends. Yeah, and, and the season uh, before he comes in, to like exemplify that point, I remember Daryl and I talking about Liverpool at that time, and it felt like a team that uh, like Jurgen Klopp had figured out, he had gotten his attack more or less sorted, and I remember saying like what they need now is like a stronger defensive midfielder, a stronger defensive presence, and then somebody at centre-back who can really like organize that defense. They bring in Nabi Keita, they then bring in Fabinho, but then they bring in Virgil van Dijk uh, in between those two, and it is, I think Nabi Keita is like the year uh, postponed whatever move, but the Virgil van Dijk signing, it is that move that you kind of look at as like, okay, they are now definitely title contenders. They are now Champions League uh, title contenders because mm. of how strong he is, both physically and in terms of what he brings like to that squad, a uh, squad from a uh, like leadership standpoint, and just sort of being that figure that you look at as like, okay, we have Virgil van Dijk, we know he's going to be able to like do things that other ones won't be able to do, and it gives them that kind of next level belief in the squad. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. For, even though he is incredibly expensive, even though it basically is Liverpool sort of caving to Southampton's demands, that still sort of doesn't matter because, like, does money even matter in the Premier League? Who knows? Everybody has money, but to be able to spend it effectively and bring in a player that is this sort of already legend status player for Liverpool is a fairly impressive bit of business uh, and impressive all the more because it happened in January. Definitely. I think there's a lot... If I, if I were the Barcelona board right now, what's left of it? I'd be saying, looking at Liverpool and saying, oh, look, they plan their squad really well. Oh, look, they spend their money really well. Maybe we should do that. <laughs> I mean, that would, that would not be the worst idea. I think <laughs> spending money wisely is, is a decent choice. Uh, Virgil van Dijk is a decent choice. One that uh, I, I think, yeah, you're absolutely right, Man City. Probably ruining that decision in the long run, especially given that they don't seem to have too many issues about spending like 50 million on fullbacks but you know just just buy one and a half fullbacks it's Virgil van Dijk so you they just don't, do that they, they don't regret the decision Taylor they ruin lament it there it is. They ruin lament. Well, uh, I did want to close this out, uh, for at least for my list, uh, by men- like you know, again, we we are coming at this from a perspective of Stuart Donald panicking a little bit, not being sure he can find value in the transfer market. He ends out shelling out more than he would have liked to bring in Will Grigg. Uh, spoiler alert there, but not that big of a spoiler how alert. Much, because, how, how on fire was he at that point? Uh, I, I, according to the video montage that we have, uh, he was very on fire. I think in the moment, uh, given that he's coming from a championship side, not that on fire. That seems to be about the tradition. <laughs> for him and before uh, there, i watch season two how much um how much wimbledon is there is there any wimbledon footage in there that i need to see i'm sure there's some there's got to be some wimbledon footage in there uh I, I don't know if it's good or bad for you but i'm assuming there's at least a, a moment in there some sort of highlight unless it like both games finish nil nil in which case you yeah. might have missed out spoiler it wouldn't have been good for us <laughs> <laughs> um well but with all that said, I did want to say that you can still find value. My my, my uh, final one I want to mention, not the sexiest of names, literally or figuratively, but it's Gary Cahill moving from Bolton to uh, Chelsea for £7 that million is, pounds in that 2012. That is the least sexy name in the Premier League, well, arguably. It is, and always Gary. with Gary Cahill, the first thing I think of is uh, James Richardson from Football Weekly. I think I think this is the only time I've ever heard this said, but I believe him when he says that he was trying to figure out why there weren't more Garys, why Gary isn't a more ubiquitous name. Hmm. And I guess it all goes to, oh, what's his, the actor's name that's going to make me really mad at myself for not remembering? Uh, that's Gary, gonna... uh, ba- Batman, Oldman. <laughs> no, 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 before him, there's uh, Gary... Newman. Oh, uh, hold on. This is going to drive me nuts. Um no, it's a city in Indiana. Gary, not Peyton. <laughs> Gary, <laughs> Gary Erie. Gary Cooper. I found it. Gary Cooper. All right, here we go. Gary Cooper uh, was basically, I guess it's like a stage name that was more or less made up that Gary didn't exist, but I think he's from Gary, Indiana. He needed a stage name, so he changed his name to Gary. He became this sort of like influential figure in Hollywood. Uh, Tony Soprano w- wants to know why more people can't be the strong, silent type like Gary Cooper. And so he becomes sort of an inspiration for people naming their kids Gary, which I'm assuming is where Gary Cahill comes from. But it is a kind of completely constructed name from that one person, which is kind of cool, at least if James Richardson is correct. But that's my Gary tangent to then talk we, about we Gary Cahill. We've said the word Gary too much. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, we just call him Cahill from now on. 
Gary Cahill uh, departs a sinking Bolton in January of 2012 for £7 million. Pounds. Uh, that decision is roundly criticized at the time because he's leaving uh, a Bolton Wanderers team who are very likely to be relegated. Worth noting, he plays until he's sold. Uh, he doesn't sort of sit out and force the transfer f- through or worry about getting injured. He does play. I think he misses their last game because that would have cup-tied him. But aside from that, he keeps playing. Uh, but Bolton at the end of the season are relegated. Uh, Gary Cahill, for his part at the end of the season, uh, wins the Champions League. So a decent uh, swing of fortune there for him. Uh, <laughs> but he is, it's also really interesting because if you read articles from the time, they're very, very negative and Unlike uh, some of the ones I've already mentioned, this one seems justified because there's a lot of fear of you're going to play Gary Cahill in a back line with John Terry in a high line because this is the days of V.S. Bosch. And there's an idea that that's not going to work so well. And that is precisely how that went down. But Chelsea kind of returned to the maybe a back line that sits off a little bit, can allow John Terry and Gary Cahill to play together. David Luiz is also there. Uh, but Gary Cahill plays that Champions League final despite being injured. Uh, they do have the success in total. He plays 191 times for the club, wins two Premier League titles, two FA Cups, the Champions League, as I mentioned, and two Europa Leagues. Uh, But that is a very strong return for £7 million. He becomes a key figure in that defense. And I think looking at sort of the way he is covered at the time, the way that move is covered, it's so negative. There's not a lot of people saying like this seems like it could work out. And yet in the end, I would argue it very much does. So Mm. Stuart Donald, if you're listening, which you're not, but if you are, there is always value to be found. Even if people say it's not value, maybe that's what you're hoping for with Will Grigg. Uh, But maybe instead of Will, you should be hoping for a Gary. Everybody needs a Gary in their life, yeah. And it is it is good how much he shined in that Chelsea team, particularly with Captain Leader Legend next to him, you know, taking the spotlight. Very technically gifted player is Gary Cahill. Uh, Crystal Palace legend, Gary Cahill, is that what we call him now? Uh, yeah, I think sure. so. Crystal Palace legend, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good one. I like I like that addition to, to the list to, to, to finish off on. Very good stuff. All right. I mean, it's, it's certainly, as I said, not the, the biggest name, the biggest transfer, but one that I think is a pretty solid bit of business. So we have our, our 10-ish most uh, impressive, strongest, best signings of the January window. Ryan, anything else you'd like to add before we call it a day? I think we have done wonderfully. We should pat ourselves on the back for this uh, for this research we've done for this episode, Taylor. Well I, done, you. I agree. I mean, and given that January is known to be a difficult window, I, I think we've done well with our with our ten signings. I think if people replicate those signings, they'll be doing just fine. So yeah, that's a good point there. And what I wonder is, and we can even ask that about the Gary Cahill transfer. What percentage? Of these, of, of January deals, and perhaps mm-hmm. these deals are good luck rather than good research and knowing what you were doing. Like, because Gary Cahill yeah. could have gone either way, arguably. A lot of these players could have gone either way. Yeah, I mean, and it, it does make Didi. you wonder. Yeah, oh, it, ahead, it, it, it makes you wonder how much of a fluke some of these deals are when they come off. That's yeah, what, I suppose that's my point. And I think, and I think that is sort of like like a pretty good point is that if you look at a lot of these the bigger ones moving to the bigger clubs a lot of times it takes them a while to bet in it takes them a couple months or six months or what have you but a lot of the time it is smaller or less successful in the moment like Liverpool when they bring in Luis Suarez it's after Torres leaves but again like it's not a time when they're winning titles they're winning silverware it's it's a Liverpool team that kind of have to find ways to compete aside from spending a ton of money because this is before the takeover I believe I'm correct in saying mm-hmm. uh, and so there's a bit more flexibility there's a bit more freedom to experiment I think and indeed he is a great example of that in my mind that smaller clubs can take more risks because if it doesn't work out like yes it's money spent but if you're Man United and you bring in a player who does not work it looks that much worse and then you look at the investment and it's another example of how you're a laughing stock whereas I think there is a little bit more license to experiment if you're a smaller club and I think that's where some of that success comes from which is maybe research and scouting but maybe also just a teensy tiny bit of luck to your point. Mm. And when I think about January signings, Taylor, I also think about the Bundesliga, where in Germany it's traditionally not viewed as a good thing to make a January signing because mm-hmm. you should have had your business sorted at the start of the season. So it makes you wonder whether a lot of these were, you know, knee-jerk reactions yep. because of arguably a squad should have been sorted by August, September. And, and sometimes those knee-jerks can be good things. Yeah. Proper planning prevents poor Januaries. Uh, if you want to go the German model. Uh, and if you want to go the English model, spend a bunch of money in January and cross your fingers. Uh, Ryan Bailey, thank you very much, as always, for spending this Monday, late morning, early afternoon, discussing uh, fun topics like uh, United Passions, not so much fun, but January transfers, much more fun. Indeed. Always a pleasure to spend my time with you, Taylor. 
I look forward to seeing you once again. Always a pleasure, never a chore.